Well, good morning, church, ushers. Come on forward. We'll share in our offering. If you're here visiting this morning and you didn't come planning or thinking about an offering, don't think about it now. Uh, we give as part of our worship, and if you notice, some people aren't putting anything in an offering basket. A lot of people give online, uh, send a check in. They do it different ways. We're just glad to have you, whether you're a first-time visitor or here every week. We're just glad to have you here this morning as we worship together. A couple of items just real quickly. Uh, Brad mentioned we have a discovery class today at 3 o'clock, and that discovery class is basically talking about who we are as a church, why we do the things we do, our, our strategy, our plan, those kind of things. If you are interested in that, we'd love to have you. We have a good number signed up, but even if you didn't sign up, then you're thinking, hey, you know, maybe I'd like to do that. Uh, just be there at three o'clock. If you think about it, after the service, you can stop by the information desk, let them know that you plan to come. But even if that doesn't happen, we'll take you at three o'clock. Love to have you. If, you know, you're thinking, well, I don't know that I'm going to be a, you know, card-carrying member. Please know what we talk about in the class is is how this church operates. I mean, what, what we think is important, our strategic plan, and it has nothing to do with whether you're a voting member or not. We're talking about what we think it means to be a follower of Jesus and to be a part of our church to do that. I would think you might want to know that, and it will answer a lot of questions as to, you know, who we are, what we do, those kind of things. Love to have you three o'clock today. Um, we'll, we'll feed you along the way and um, just be here, and uh, as a good number already signed up. We have a, a baptism next week. That is one of the highlights of our church year is our Sundays where we have our baptismal services. We've got a great number of folks going to be baptized, uh, children being dedicated. Uh, you don't want to miss next week. It is a celebration day, and hopefully you can be here and be a part of that. The other thing I just wanted to highlight for you is I know this email went out, and uh, just in case perhaps you did not see the email or on the list, but uh, we announced this past week that Pastor Jim Wilkins, Pastor Jim is our pastor of care. Uh, he is going to be leaving our staff in the end of June. I see Jim you're back there, back corner. Jim, you were here the first service. You stayed for two. You are the most spiritual person I've ever met. <clears throat> uh, Pastor Jim has been a part of our staff. And if you saw the email, I just would pass on to you. We've been so blessed to have he and Chris be a part of our church. They attended here, became a part of leadership here, uh, came on to staff here, both of them serving in pastoral leadership on our, our, our team. And uh, having, having them leave is sad, but there's a joyful side of it, if you saw the note. Um, they have been specifically, and Jim has been preaching and helping a local church that has been without a pastor for some time, and they asked him if, the, if he would consider being their pastor. It's a great opportunity, and uh, we've been in constant contact together, he and I talking it through, and he said yes, he would accept that, and we're excited for you, Jim, and for the, for the future. It is an exciting thing. We see ourselves in partnership, and so we salute that. <clears throat> We've got a couple of weeks yet, so make sure, make sure you, you greet him. Uh, let him know impact that he's had on your life and the ministry of the church. And I say to you again that we see this as an as a opportunity of shared ministry going together. If you've been a part of any of the Med Discover classes that I'll be teaching yet again today, I remind you again, the church is bigger than Essex Alliance Church. It's bigger than here. We're talking about the church of Jesus Christ, and it spans multiple churches and denominations, and we're in partnership together. So make sure you take some time uh, with, uh, with Jim in the next couple of weeks and just express your appreciation. Uh, let's get into the, to the sermon today. My thanks to Pastor Matt for jumping in last week for me. Diane and I were called into grandparent duty, uh, and so Matt jumped in. Uh, 
Uh, we uh, got called into duty. We have a granddaughter who'd been in the hospital, actually been sick and was home, but her dad had to go on a trip. And so with two other kids and the ages of three, five, and seven, they needed help. So we did what parents do and grandparents do. We dropped everything and we took off to be there for the week with them. Pastor Matt jumped in to preach, um, you know, and so being with grandparents or being, being with kids and not on a conference or something like that, you might think, oh, you're on vacation. <laughs> you know, if you say that to me someplace where someone's not looking, I'll smack you. Um, telling you right now, this uh, raising of children, three, five, and seven years old, it's a young guy, it's a young person's game, I got to tell you right now. And I remember the day when my parents and Diane's parents would come to our house and watch the kids. We'd be gone for a week, and they'd come watch the kids. We'd come back, you know, and they would say, they'd say, oh, we're exhausted. We don't know how you do it. And I'd kind of laugh. I said, what do you mean how you do it? You did this? What do you mean how you do it? Holy smokes, how do you do it? <laughs> First of all, these kids, they get up like at 6, 6.30 in the morning. I haven't been up at that. I can't remember the last time I've seen the sun come up, you know. And, and then Diane will say, well, I'll just get up with the kids. You stay sleeping. Oh, yeah, guys, how's that work out for you, huh? <laughs> You come up about two hours later going, oh, I feel rested. Yeah, that ain't going to work either, let me tell you. So thank you, Pastor Matt, for jumping in. Uh, he spoke on baptism, and we've got a great number going to be baptized, and my appreciation for him jumping in here in that last moment. This morning, let's get back into our series. We're talking about worry. Worry is universal. Uh, everybody worries. It's part of who we are. And I kind of laughed. There's an ironic piece of this. I appreciate the person who said to me, who saw me, now you've got to kind of weigh this out, saw me and said, oh, Pastor Scott, you're here. I am so glad that you were gone last week. <laughs> Thank you. It's good to be back. Feels good, you know. And I went, yeah, well, how is it? Well, let me explain. Because I heard the first, ser- the first sermon on worry, and I was so worried I was going to miss the second one in person because I couldn't be here last week. So I was so thrilled that it was Matt, not you. And so I don't know what to tell Matt. Matt, good luck, buddy. You know, both of us are kind of an odd spot. But I also could say to her, you know, we are pre- I am teaching on worry. You, know, you were worried you wouldn't be here in person. I can fix that this week. I can fix that for you. So we're going to talk about worry. Worry goes back to the beginning of time. People have worried for thousands of years, which is why Jesus 2,000 years ago decided, hey, I should talk to you folks about worry. People still worry today. One writer described worry this way, which caught my attention. He said that worry is actually prayer in reverse. Now, that got my attention. It's like, what does that mean? And he wanted to describe it this way. Prayer takes issues and makes them smaller. Worry takes issues and makes them bigger. I thought, man, that is really true. It is prayer in reverse. The key point for us is it doesn't matter when you live, what period of time. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter what era you live in. Doesn't matter what century, doesn't matter what political group's in control, doesn't matter what president's in control, doesn't matter what, what wars or, or rumors of war are happening in the world, it just doesn't matter, worry happens. That no matter when you live in this world, there's always a world of things to worry about. So Jesus, knowing this 2,000 years ago, speaks and teaches for us today. Isn't it good of him to speak to that group of people on the mountainside, the Sermon on the Mount, and isn't it nice of him to think that he'd be preaching a message that we would need to hear 2,000 years later? Why? Because worry doesn't go away. It's kind of who we are, if you will. And Jesus, we're going to see this morning, is going to do something that no one else does. Now, maybe there are others who have tried, but for the most part, no one else does what Jesus is going to do. We're going to see it this morning. And that is this. Jesus actually gives us a solution to worry. 
You see, if you go do a lot of research on the stuff that's out there on worry, talk to the people out there that will give you some advice on worry and look at the books and all that, you'll find that most of them talk about how to cope with worry. They give you a coping mechanism. They tell you how to manage worry. They'll tell you how to medicate for worry. But Jesus says, hey, I got an idea. How about I just give you a solution for worry? Not a coping mechanism. I'm just going to tell you how to solve this issue once and for all. Now, we're going to pick up where we ended last week or two weeks ago in Matthew chapter 6. But before that, let me remind you of a couple of things with a bunch of statements that we've learned. This will help all of us to remember. This will help those who weren't here to get on the same page. So we learned that we worry about the things that we're devoted to. We worry about the things that, we, that matter to us. That's the stuff we worry about. Accordingly, I don't worry about the fact that you lost your car keys this week. That doesn't bother me at all. I slept well. I worry that I lost my car keys, but I don't really care about yours because we worry about the things that we are devoted to, the things that are important to us. We learn that worry does not add one single minute to your life. In fact, not only does it not add time to your life, worry probably takes minutes off of your life. We, were, we learned along the way that worry... But whatever the situation is that you're worrying about, worry doesn't change that situation, does not make that situation any better. We learn that worry is a waste of precious time. We've got X amount of time given to us in this life, and when you worry, you're basically just wasting time. We learn that worry, a simple definition for worry, worry is allowing your mind to focus on some problem or some difficulty. Worry is the allowing of your mind to get hyper-focused on some problem, some issue, and truthfully, there are issues that you can't change anyway. That's what worry is. You say, well, what if you can change it? Well, if you can change it, then you don't worry about it. You just go change it. See, worry happens to the things we can't change. We can go change certain things, the things we can't. We learn that worrying really is wasting today focused on things that may or may not happen tomorrow. That's worry. We also learn that for most people, we worry about things that matter. For the most part, we worry about the things that matter. You know, we might get wrapped up in something about jokingly whether I'm preaching and I'm missing the series that Sunday or not type of deal. But the truth of it is, the stuff we really worry about, the real worry, it's about stuff that matters to us. It's about the things that are concerning to us. We also learn that not only is it, is, it okay, is it okay to care about things, but God wants you to be proactive about things. Now, make sure you get that. We learn that it's okay to care about issues. You need to make sure you understand that when someone says don't worry, and when God talks about not worrying, Jesus is not saying don't care. He's saying care. In fact, we learned last week that not only should we care, but we should do what we can do in whatever the issue is. If there's something to be done, make sure you're doing it. That's one way to, to alleviate worry is if you're doing the things you know to do, which means this, if you want to get into a certain school, make sure you study hard, do your work. If you want to get the job, then study for the job, work hard, be successful, get ready for the interview. Don't just say, ah, if I get it, I get it, and then worry about it. No, do the right things. Put the work into your plan. Put the work into your marriage. Put the work into your relationships. Put the work into your future. Do your part. And that's the picture that we get from God. He said, listen, you know, he talks about the birds. The birds, they, they don't plant, they don't reap, they don't sow, those kind of things. Well, but we do those things. So God says, go do them. Do your part. But for the stuff that you can't control, stop worrying about it. We learn that when you worry, you should look at the birds. Look at the flowers. There's a nice distraction. When you're in the midst of anxiety and worry, Jesus says, hey, stop, look at the birds. And we would go, that's not helpful. And Jesus would say, it actually is. 
Look at the birds. They need food, they need water, they need shelter. And by the way, they get all of that because I take care of them. Look at the flowers. Look how gorgeous they are. Look how beautiful I made them. And then I take those beautiful flowers and I stick them into a dull landscape and it brings the whole landscape to color. And he says, so when you're worried and anxious, look at all of those things and then remember this. I care for them, but I love you. He said, so when you get anxious, look at all the stuff I've created and think about the fact that I don't love them like I love you. I love you more. We learn that you can trust God and that he is faithful. And we also learn that worry is a faith issue. Now let me read a couple of verses from last time and then we'll continue into today. Matthew chapter 6, verse 27. Can any one of you by worrying at a single hour to your life Why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Now, just a reminder again, when he says, you know, you worry about what you're gonna wear, what you're gonna look like, you don't minimize that. Don't forget in that culture, whether they had a shirt on their back was key. What they were going to eat the next day or for dinner was not a matter of looking at your little mini-mart of a closet, for a pantry, deciding, oh, what shall we eat tonight? These people were worried about whether they would have food to eat. So these are critical issues. He said, the same issues you worry about. And he said, take a look. Now, we sum all those things together. What Jesus is trying to say is this. He says, do you, do you see how I care and I feed the smallest of animals? Do you see how high of wired creation that the smallest, of the most insignificant bird that needs water and food, I make sure they're cared for. Do you see the beauty of my creation? It's springtime. Do you not see the geese that are flying back and the beauty of them flying and the pairs of them that will be walking in the fields? Do you not see them? When you drive down the Cirque Highway, do you not see Mount Mansfield when the sun comes out and just hits that crowning glory of snow and you realize, oh, I get to live here? He said, when you look outside, you see all the robins are back. The robins that you look for all, all winter, they're now back and they've got their the big puffed out red chest. And you look at them and you think, man, they're just gorgeous. God says, when you look at all that, do you not realize that's all me? And do you think that I did all of that and I won't care for you? That's the whole summation of those verses. Look at the birds and look at the flowers. And then Jesus hits the nerve where he says, you look at all that and you still worry? Oh, you of little faith. Let's pick up there. So Jesus says that there's a relationship between the size of your faith and the level of your worry. Now, what's interesting, and I just learned this this past week as I was studying myself, what's interesting is the word he uses there, oh, ye of little faith, or you of little faith, is actually two words that he brought together that no one else puts together anywhere in the New Testament. It's a word he made up. Now, by made up, I've got grandchildren that make up words, and they're words that have no meaning. This word has meaning. When I say made up word, he actually took two Greek words and put them together to form a word. But when I say not made up, you can't find this word anywhere else. It's the only place it's found is in Jesus' statement right here. Nowhere else in the New Testament. He takes two Greek words and puts them together and to create this word. Now, it's interesting when we look at the word that he put together and we look at it carefully and put it into an interpretation that would be you know, common to our thought process, we realize that Jesus was probably poking fun at the people. 
Now, not poking fun in a condescending way, he was smiling with them and having some fun with them in this issue. In fact, if you put these words together, oddly enough, this idea of you a little faith would actually be better interpreted to be, oh, you little faithers, you. Little faithers. Now, immediately you go, that's not a word. Exactly, that's the point. But it's a word as he put it together. So it would sound something like this. Jesus speaking. He goes, okay, people, let me get this right. Let me get this straight. So you believe that there's a God. And don't forget, the people he's talking to, they all believed in God. That was the, that he didn't have to convince anyone that there being a, a God who was a creator. So he says, let me get this right. So you believe there's a God, right? And they go, yep. So you believe there's a God that, that created everything. Uh-huh. So this God, he created the birds, the biggest and the smallest of birds, the most beautiful, he created, yep. The flowers, he created, the mountains created, every beautiful thing you believe is created by God. They go, uh-huh. And so every created thing has God's fingerprints all over him. Yep. Now let me get on top of this. And you believe, you believe that, and yet you don't believe that he'll take care of you? <laughs> you, you little faithers, you. That would be the, that would be the kind of the, the, the setting for that. You little faithers, you. It's kind of like, come on, what's wrong with you? You're telling me you believe that God created all of this and he won't watch over you? You little faithers, cut it out. That's the context of the statement that he says. Come on. Now listen very carefully to this next statement, you little faithers, you. If you believe that God created this world and everything in it, if you believe that Jesus Christ came, left heaven, and came in the form of man, in the form of us as a human, and he came on and took our likeness so that he could come and pay our price for sin. If you believe that Jesus came and did that, that he went to the cross and died for our sins, and if you believe that Jesus Christ went into the grave, as we just celebrated a few weeks ago at Easter, went to the grave, died, was dead for three days, and came back to life so that he could defeat death. If you believe that, please hear this. You already believe the hard part. So what are you worried about the small parts for? If you believe that, you already have great faith. You already have a huge faith. You already believe the hard stuff. So why is it we get so tripped up on the everyday stuff? Jesus says to us, if you believe all of that, you already have big faith. So what we're talking about today, just so you know, is taking this big faith that you already, you already possess. If you're a follower of Jesus, you already possess this big faith. What we're talking about today is trying to help you see how you can take this big faith and apply it to the smallest of things in your life that cause us worry and anxiety. He said, you already believe the big stuff. So let's take that big faith and apply it and make your worry smaller. So Jesus wants them to understand the, the, this worry issue, and then he's going to give us a solution. Now, why is he going to give us a solution? Because he needs to, because no one else is. He needs to give us a solution for worry because the truth of it is you can't stop worrying by simply deciding to stop worry. That's why we need a solution. I mean, it's kind of like this. Remember when you're a kid and you're up and you're, you're wide awake, you can't sleep, and your parents shout to you, go to sleep! Remember those days? Did you go to sleep? Can you just decide, say, okay, I got it, going to sleep now. Do you have that ability? You have that ability right now to go home and say, I'm going to close my eyes and go to sleep. Now, my wife would say, I do have that ability. I do have that ability. Right in the middle of the conversation, I can do it. 
But the truth of it is when you're wound up and you're wide awake and someone says, go to sleep, can you just go to sleep? It's, if you're the worrier in the family and your family says to you, stop worrying, do you say, okay, done now, got it. Can I worry, can I worry today? I'll stop tomorrow. See, you, you can't. There has to be some solution given. So that's what Jesus does. So, so okay, Jesus is going to show us how. But first, there's a couple of things he has to make clear for us. We've got to see it as a faith issue. So if you're a believer, a follower of Jesus, and you've not allowed your faith to go to its logical conclusion. See, worry is faith that hasn't gone to its logical conclusion. And once again, if I can believe the big stuff and I'm still worried or anxious about the other stuff, then I haven't allowed my big faith to get to its logical conclusion, which says this, if God can take care of all that stuff, he can take care of all my little stuff as well. So Jesus starts moving towards a solution. Let's pick up the, the verse this week, Matthew 6, 31. So now we've got a new, a, new, a new part of the text. We haven't looked at this yet, so here he goes. He says, so, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Stop right there. Now, notice something subtle in Jesus' words. In fact, he, he actually hits something exactly what we do. Exactly, but you might miss it. You see, what most of us would say would say it this way. Listen, so don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. And you're saying, well, that's what he said. He didn't say that. He said this, don't worry saying. He put the word saying in. You think, is that important? Absolutely it's important because that's exactly what we do. He didn't say don't worry, don't worry about what you're going to eat. He says, don't worry saying, what am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? What am I going to drink? Now, let me talk about that word saying for quick, quick, real quickly here. Because that little word saying in there gives for us two applications. The first application is this. He'd be saying this to us. So people, stop talking to yourself about the problem. Because that's what we do. We talk to ourselves about the problem all the time. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? How am I going to fix this? How am I going to fix that? We talk to ourselves about the issues and the problems all the time. That's why I think it's so cool that he puts the word saying. He doesn't say just do not worry. He says stop saying this. It's not helping you to tell yourself over and over again, what am I going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? The second application is he says this. He says, and stop replaying it. Number one, stop saying it to yourself. And number two, stop replaying it over and over and over again like a broken record. Now, I wrote that in my notes and then I started laughing thinking, you know what, depending on your age, you don't even know what a broken record is. <laughs> That's a horrible feeling when you realize that you're writing a message and you're realizing that half or more of your audience will go, what's a broken record? So let me explain it to you. So back in my day... <clears throat> Back in my, actually, my parents' day, just so you know, I'm on a tail end of that. But back in our day, you know, before, before the CDs and before DVDs and before, of course, the MP3 files and digital, we had vinyl, you know, the old days of vinyl. And some of you know there's nothing like hearing a song on vinyl. You know, you put the needle down on it. It's got a little hiss that goes with it. And any purist in music kind of goes, oh, I love that little the hiss of the vinyl. Well, it worked great in the record player. I have a record player in my office, and I still play the vinyl because I like it. However, if you scratch the vinyl, you get a broken record. And if you don't know what that means, it doesn't mean they're really broken. It means if you get the wrong kind of scratch, the song will be playing, and when it hits that, it gets stuck in the groove. So over and over, it goes, dun 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 and if it's actually playing something, it'll sing the same words over and over and over and over again. A broken record. Now, there you go. You're now up to speed. You all know. 
And so what he's saying here, he goes, so stop saying. And friends, just be honest here. That's exactly what we do, right? We talk to ourselves about the problem, and then we replay it over and over and over again. I love the fact that Jesus knows that about us. and He doesn't just say, stop worrying. He says, stop saying it. Stop replaying this thing over and over again. There's a better way, he says. You keep repeating it, and it's not getting you anywhere. And then he adds this to it, the first part of verse 32. For the pagans run after all of these things. So he kind of makes a little bridge here. So he says, stop doing that. So stop saying it over and over again. And then he says, for the pagans run after all these things. So let's just stop right there. It's the first part of the verse. So who are the pagans? The pagans are the people who don't even believe in God. They either totally reject any God at all, or they'll worship any God. They're the pagans. They don't believe in a personal God. They don't believe in a God that knows your name. They don't believe in a God that knew you before you were even born. They don't think there's a God. They just think it's just just nothing out there and it's just over. They don't even, they reject God. And so here's what he's trying to say here. He goes this, and he says, there are these people that they don't even believe in God and they run after the same things. By the way, that word run means devote. So he says, those people don't even believe in God. They're devoted to the same things you are. Because that's the same word, same application. He said, just like you're devoted to all these things, they're devoted to the same things. Here's the point of it. And you're supposed to look different than them. Get that? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you do believe that there's a God who's the creator of all, He said, those people who totally reject God, they are concerned about the same things you are, and this is your moment. You are supposed to look different than them. We're all running after the same things, but you shouldn't be running in the same way. We all care, but you should be caring a little differently. You're supposed to be different, look different. Friends, please hear this. It's in, these same, it's, in, it's in these same shared issues of life. Every one of us in this world have the same shared issues. We all care about the future. We all care about retirement. We all care about having enough money. We all care about food and, and drink and having clothes. Or we care about the same things, every one of us. But it's in these shared things is where we're supposed to have our wow moment. If you were a follower of Jesus Christ and you're looking at the world and you see the same kind of discouraging things happening in the world, everyone else says, that's okay, but this is supposed to be your wow moment. Your wow moment where someone else looks at you and says, wow, you care about the same things, but you're not worried. I mean, I can tell that these matter to you, but you don't have any anxiousness. In fact, you've got joy. You just don't seem worried about them. I mean, you seem to care but you just seem at peace. Folks, when we look, when we look like and we worry like the people who don't even believe in God, you know what that's called, right? It's called practicing atheism. When you say, I believe in God and he created all things and God's in control, and then we go down this road where we worry about all these things and are anxious, what's the difference between your point of view and the sold-out atheist point of view. It's called practical atheism. We live our lives as if there is no God. Well, there is a God. Jesus is saying, look, if if you give in to your worry, if you get sucked into anxiety, totally focused on the problem, then there might as well be no God for you because you're taking the same view that the people who reject God take. So here's an opportunity to shine bright before people. 
Take the thing that you worry about most. Think about what it is. Chances are it's popped up in your head already. Take the thing you worry about most right now and think about this. In that thing, this is your moment to shine bright, to say, I will not worry about that anymore. And some of you immediately are going, could there be something else? Could you take something like third or fourth on my list of worries? Don't take the first one because that's a big one. Could I, could I, could I have a shining bright moment on something a little less important? Because I'm not sure I want to give up on the, the really important ones yet. Um, now, he's almost, Jesus is almost ready to give us a solution. Almost. But he's got to finish the thought process here. So let me give you the whole verse of verse 32. Matthew 6, 32. He says, so for the pagans, they ran after all of these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. There's the end of that verse. Now, just before we get to the solution, he finishes the thought process. So these pagans, they don't even believe God. And they care about the same things you care about. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. Your heavenly father knows what you worry about. Your heavenly father knows that when it comes to what shall I wear or what should I drink or what shall I eat, it is not talking about what color looks good on you. He knows that you worry about your future. He knows that you worry about your health. He knows that you worry whether you're going to have enough money. He knows that you worry about your children. He knows. He knows. And here's the question. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he knows? Let me paint a picture for you. He knows what keeps you awake at night. Now, just look at me for a moment. I want you to imagine something here. So just walk with me for a minute. I want to imagine that tonight you go home, you go to bed, and you're laying there in the dark. You're not asleep yet. You wish you could go to sleep, but you can't. Why? Because your mind is thinking about that thing that you worry about. Is that the way it goes? See, during the day... We're really good at occupying our time. I can fill my day with all sorts of stuff that distracts me. But let's be honest, it's in these quiet moments where there's no distractions, where the worry creeps in. So let's say tonight you're laying in your bed and the worry is is there, it's creeping in. The anxiety for whatever it might be for you is there and it's so, it's so real. It's in the very front of your mind. And all of a sudden you realize that there's someone sitting at the foot of your bed. And you look and it's an angel, a real angel. Not a scary angel, not the angel from I ate something bad last night and it's bothering me, not that angel. The kind of angel that showed up with Mary and Joseph. The kind of angel that stood in front of the shepherds and said, hey, I've got good news. It's going to change the whole world. The kind of angel that was at the garden tomb sitting on a stone that said to these women, hey, I know you're here to looking for Jesus, but why do you look for the living among the dead? I mean, the real deal, God, God sent a messenger. And that messenger is sitting on your bed And that angel looks at you in the eye and the angel says this, God sent me here in this moment because he knows. He knows what's on your mind right now. And he wanted me to come to simply say, your heavenly father knows. Now, my question for you is this. Would not that all by itself be encouragement to you? Would not that moment all by itself be a moment where you would say, I can release this because my heavenly Father knows? Now, keep looking this direction. I am no angel. 
and I know that. But it might just be that God has you here today in this room, in this moment, or watching the screen in this moment. He has you in this moment just so you can hear me say, he knows. He knows what worries you. He knows what you spin in your mind over and over again. He knows what keeps you awake at night. He knows the thing in your life that you think is hopeless, that will never change. He knows. He knows the things that bother you and frighten you the most. I need you to know your heavenly Father knows. And be at peace. Let those words seep into your worry. Now, once Jesus is sure that the, all those listeners on the side of that mountainside began to understand the reality that God knows, now he's willing to give them the solution. And here it is in verse 33. But, and that's a connective word, but. So after all that, he says, so but. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. In other words, he says, the problem here is that you've been seeking after the wrong things first. Because he said, seek after his kingdom first. See, what he does in that statement, he says, all those other things, they're very, very important. The problem is you have them in the wrong order. You have them in the wrong order. You see, you've allowed all the stuff, all the things to become first place. And he said, so I, I'm going to give you a new way of thinking. I'm going to have you change your focus. See, the solution is to transfer your devotion. The solution for worry is to transfer your focus. You see, as long as your focus and your devotion is on your financial security, guess what? You're going to worry. As long as your focus is on your health, you're going to worry. As long as your focus and your devotion is finding a spouse and finding a husband or a wife, you're going to worry. As long as your focus is on the problems that your kids are facing, then you're going to worry. You see, he gives an incredible invitation. Jesus gives us an invitation into a totally different way of living and thinking. And the invitation is for every one of us to do one simple thing. Simple, I understand. It's a bad word, it's a choice of words there. To surrender everything that we hold as important, to surrender those over to him and make his agenda first. You see, when he puts that but, but seek my kingdom first, what he's basically saying is all that stuff's important. I'm not asking you to say it's not important. I'm just asking you to put it in its right, posi right perspective. Get it into its right position in line and I'm first and my kingdom is first. And when you put me first, here's the deal I'll make, and you put your second, I'll make sure I take care of all your stuff. Just put me first. Okay, Scott, well, how do we do that? Well, what I'm going to tell you is really a no-brainer. It's really quite simple. It really is quite simple. At one point when Jesus is, right, is teaching on, on the side of the same mountain, same sermon, same chapter, Matthew chapter 6, he actually gives us the secret. And it's not a secret. It's right out there for everyone to see. Living for God's kingdom first begins with how you pray. And here it is. Matthew 6, verse 10. 
one small per, part of Jesus' teaching on how to pray. He says, pray this, your kingdom come, your will be done. And most of you have already finished it, right? Where? On earth as it is in heaven. The path, the path of surrender starts with how we approach daily life. And we approach that daily life with a prayer that says, Lord, your kingdom, your kingdom come, your will be done. Now listen, this is not, this is not complicated. It's not even deeply theological, I gotta tell you. It really isn't. About all the things that you worry about, of all the things that you have anxiety about, you begin to pray differently about them. You begin to say, Lord, your will on earth, on earth, what's that mean? It means, Lord, I want your will to be done right here in this little piece of the earth where I occupy. You know, my job where I work, that's my earth. This family I'm in, that's my earth. This marriage I'm in, this is my earth. In, in this moment, in this place, I want your will to be done. To accept Jesus' invitation to seek first his kingdom would mean a prayer something like this. God, you know how bad, you know how bad I want that job. I mean, God, I have done all that I can do. Uh, but I, I, I want that job. You know how bad I, I want that paycheck in my life. You, bad, you know how bad I need those things in my life. But you know what? No. I want your will to be done. Now catch this one. Lord, you know how bad I want my family to be whole. And I'm going to keep working at that. But you know what? I want you to be first in my life. You know how bad I want a clean doctor's report. But I want you first. I want you first. You know how badly I want to be married, but I want you first. You know how badly I want my marriage to work, you first. You know how badly I want my children to succeed. Lord, you know how badly I, I hurt for the path my children are on, but you know what? I want your will first. I want most in my life, God, what you want first. Friends, when you make the transfer of your focus and your devotion to Christ and his kingdom, something wonderful happens to your worry. It stops. Still care, still concern, but the anxiety stops. You stop worrying when you exchange devotion to all of your stuff for sold-out devotion to him and all his stuff. So Jesus says, here's my invitation. Take the thing that you worry about most. Make it second and put me first. And some of us would say, ooh, total surrender. Scott, is there any other way? There is. There is. Just worry. I mean, that's it. Is there any other way than total surrender? There isn't another way. Just keep being anxious. Just keep worrying about it. See, see, here's the deal. This is why most books you'll read and help, you know, self-help stuff only can tell you how to cope with worry because none of them have the authority to say to you, trade and surrender your life to him and watch your worry dissipate. Put me first, he said. And all these other things, I'll see to it. Really? Yes, really. Why? because you are more important to him than the birds and the flowers and the mountains and every other beautiful thing you can see. He says, you are more important to me than any of those things. In fact, he says, call me your heavenly father. 
because I will take care of you. And now the final verse in our text. Therefore, verse 34, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, first thing, remember, the word tomorrow actually means, now, practically it means tomorrow, but it also means more. Tomorrow means all the things that are yet to come that you can't control. That's tomorrow. That's what it means. You know, he says, stop worrying about all the things that are yet to come that you can't control. You got to live today, and today's got enough work by its own, so forget about all the tomorrows. Jesus is basically saying, so stop worrying about the tomorrow. Focus on today. So... A number of years ago, a psychologist was writing a, an article, letter, uh, some notes about one of his friends who'd gone through a tragic time. He wrote this. He said his friend had gone through an incredibly tragic time. His friend their, lost their seven-year-old daughter, was killed in a car accident. And that put him off the deep end. And any one of us would say, oh my, yes. Put him off the deep end. I mean, really, he really lost it. And he started to self-medicate through alcohol. He had drank himself out of a job. He drank himself out of his marriage. He drank himself out of family and friends. He drank himself into an emotional prison. He was just done. And to everyone's surprise, he checked himself into rehab because everyone tried to help him and he, would, he, re, he resisted it. But apparently something had happened. He got to the breaking point of no hope and he checked himself into rehab. He'd been in there for weeks, number of weeks in residential rehab. And he got out. And the fellow who was writing this, the psychologist, happened to meet with him, and he said this. He said, when I met him, he was in, incredibly at peace, incredibly calm. Um, and, and, but he wasn't just at peace with the alcohol. He seemed to be a, a sense of peace and calm with just life in general. So I asked him, how do you account for this? And the fellow who'd been gone through it all responded by saying this. Well, I'm just hanging on to something that I learned in rehab. And he said, well, please tell me what it is. He said this, what they told me in rehab is this, just focus on one day at a time, and that day is always today. And don't be thinking about tomorrow. Just focus on today, one day at a time, make it today, and the tomorrows take care of themselves. And the guy who wrote this, the psychologist said, you know what, I think that's good advice. (laughs) Of course it's good advice. Jesus said it 2,000 years ago. This guy said, hey, I made this great new discovery. 2,000 plus years ago, Jesus said, you know what, friends? You got enough to worry about today. Just take the tomorrows and let them be. I'll take care of them. Just live today. Friends, that's really good advice. To allow the things that you can't control anyway, which is the tomorrow definition, all the things out of your control, just let Jesus take care of those. He says, I'll help you with all the stuff that's coming tomorrow. And on top of that, I'll help you walk through today. He's giving us an unbelievable invitation. Do you realize that he is giving you permission? Permission to release your obsessions over all the tomorrows because he says, I'll take care of them. And the reason I will is because I love you more than anything else. Homework. Here's your homework. Now, I have one more sermon I want to do with this, but it won't be for a week or so because next week we have a baptismal service. We have Mother's Day. So you have a little time to do this, but I want to suggest to you that if you don't do it now, it probably won't get done. So the sooner you can do it, the better. Talk to some of our guys in the booth that said, hey, yeah, towards the end of the sermon, I started doing my homework already. Don't do that right now. Wait till later, but I want to give you a challenge. 
Now, please hear this. Even if you aren't prone to worry, this exercise is important because it has to dealing with the issue of surrender. But if you are a person who is prone to worry, then write this down because this would be critical and really can be life-changing for you. Here's what I want you to do. Sometime in the next couple of days, uh, set aside at least a half hour. It's going to take at least a half hour. So this is not one of these three-minute deals. You need some time. I want you to sit down and I want you to write down all of the things that are important to you in your life. And I want you to start with the things you worry about most. What are the things that you're anxious about? What are the things that you most often go back to as far as worry and make a list? What are the things you worry about most? Now, I guarantee that when you get done with that list, you probably have captured most of the things that are going to be important to you. But in case you miss some, after you get the things you worry about most, then fill it out into saying, so what are the other things that are most important to me in my life? And quite literally make lists. Either put it on paper, use your computer, use your phone, but actually make the list. Don't say, oh, I'll do a mental thing. No, no mental thing. You write it down. Get your list. Now, once you have the list, here comes the next two steps. Step number one, with your list in hand, I want you to read Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34. It's a passage we're just talking about. I want you to read that through. And then when you're done, I want you to say a prayer like this. Do not write this prayer down. So you're going, oh, that's good. I want to write it. No, this is got to be your own. But a prayer something like this. Lord, this, this is the list of all my tomorrows. This is my list of all the things that are coming that I can't control, that I care about. I surrender all of them over to you. I, I want to change my devotion. I want to change my focus from those things to you. Because I know that when I hold on to them, the result is worry, and anxiety. Lord, no more of that for me. No more of that. These things are still important to me, but I'm going to put you first. And then when you're done, write the date. Put your name down there and put the date. So you always remember that day where you said, I surrender all of them over to you. That's the first one. Then the second step, every day, you're going, every day, every day. Every day, start your day. Now it's a 30-second thing. Start your day with your list in hand and a daily prayer. Lord, today, this day, I'm devoting myself to you, not to this. This list is now second. And today, you are first. Friends, final statement. You do not conquer worry by simply deciding to not worry. You conquer worry by transferring your devotion and your focus off of your list over to him. And then he'll take care of the worry. Stand, let's pray. Oh, and by the way, when you come back, the ushers are going to ask to see your homework to make sure that you've done it. <laughs> Father, Dismiss us today in your grace. Dismiss us today in your encouragement. Oh, I pray two very specific prayers. I pray that for the person that came limping in today with worry and anxiety, 
I pray that they heard from you, not from me. They heard so clearly your word saying, I know. And you can trust me with what it is that you carry. I pray that you'll help every one of us, even if we're not prone to deep worry and anxiety, that we would make our list, that we would surrender it to you. Man, that's a one powerful church when a church full of people have decided to live for your kingdom first. And all the worry, that just gets taken care of. May that be true in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.